a new year, a brand new day. Nothing but positivity allowed inside my day. Nothing but blessings, health, wealth, and love. And the creative spark to express all of the above. I'm talking no limits. See, the stacks I've already spent it, and the life I've already lived it. The dreams, they are just beginning. I mean, no limits. Prosperity through our retirement. Humanity saving the environment. The highest level of the flyest shit, yeah. Hey, y'all. You are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective. Somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Maria, the Spiritual Homegirl, and I am excited to be back with an interview from Robin LaCrosse. She's a holistic um, health practitioner. She specializes in women's reproductive health, and she's been teaching natural birth control methods for over 25 years. Um, She has a passion about making sure that every young woman is able to have an open and honest conversation about protecting themselves against, you know, unwanted pregnancies, as well as sexually transmitted um, infections. I know a lot of women um, tell me they were not able to have the talk the way they wanted to with their mothers in a way that could have actually um, helped them gain better understanding and learning through experience was, you know, is a, is a thing we all need, but sometimes we could actually use a bit of conversation to help us going through, uh, to help us avoid going through some of those experiences that we might not need to, we might not need to go through that sometimes. Sometimes we might need to just kind of, you know, know better and do better versus knowing better to do better through a tough time or a scary or painful experience. Um, she also wants to make sure that, again, mothers talk to their children about growing up, um, sex, and just staying safe. She's like the cool auntie. She didn't have children of her own, but for those mothers who kind of want to know how to have the talk or how to have the conversation, she does have RaisingEmpowerDaughters.com that can, um, you know, help mothers put some things in their toolbox to, you know, aren't, you know, to prepare themselves when they want to talk to their daughters. Um, also, she's founded the HPV Education Project to raise awareness about HPV. Um, new advances of HPV testing and holistic methods of promoting cervical health. So with her, she wants to empower individuals to protect themselves against HPV. Now, I think it's really interesting that she um, talks about this in particular because this is actually the most common STI or sexually transmitted infection out right now. It's it's the human papillomavirus virus, and it's not HIV. It's not herpes. There, there are some infections that are coming at some very alarming rates, but HPV is the one that a lot of people are sweeping under the rug um, it's being uh, presented as, oh, everybody has it, so, you know, no big deal. You guys can just learn how to deal. And it's like, why learn how to deal if we can learn how to clear it? It doesn't, you know what I mean? Why do we have to accept living with an STI? Why do we have to understand that this is just a part of a reality of being a sexual being? And Robin disagrees with that. And she's saying, hey, there are ways to get tested. They're not telling you that. There are, you know, the HPV vaccine. She's being honest about that. And she's talking about, again, better ways to protect yourself and naturally clear it. Um, because that's, she's she's been exposed herself. That's another thing I liked about Robin is that she was transparent about her own journey. She kept it very funky, this interview. Some of you guys submitted some good questions about just sex and overall health, uh, sexual health. And she was very candid, and she was very willing to answer all of those questions. For those who have daughters that are of the age where they need to, you know, kind of have a better understanding about sexual health, this might be an episode you may want to listen um, along with her. This is a very raw, uncut conversation. And we do get a lot of things out of the way with respect to um, being a safe sexual being. The thing is, everyone is going to end up having to make a choice as to whether they want to be a sexual being. And most are going to do it. It's just a matter of doing it smart. So with that being said, here's the interview. Hi. Hey. How you doing? 
good. How are you? I am good. Thanks for asking. What made you um, decide to get into this particular uh, practice? A personal journey. You know, a lot of these types of things are born out of personal necessity. And so basically, you know, when I was a kid, you know, actually a teenager, my mom put me on the pill when I was 15. And by the time I was 19, I didn't want to be on it anymore. And what I realized is I didn't know how to protect myself from getting pregnant, um, from sexually transmitted diseases. Those weren't even really a thought in my mind. And what I discovered was even though I got like the quote-unquote talk from my mom, and sex education twice in school that I really was very clueless about how to protect myself. And so I ended up spending an extra year on the pill that I didn't want to be and just trying to figure out what to do, like what my options were and that kind of thing. And so what happened was I stumbled on this book about natural family planning and it just like it opened up this whole new world to me that I had no idea that existed, you know, one that I could learn how to identify when I was fertile and use that information to avoid or achieve getting pregnant. I mean, it just like, it blew my mind. And so that was just kind of the start of my whole journey. And, you know, when I discovered these things, I was like, gosh, you know, every woman needs to grow up with this information. And so I started, you know, sharing what I learned. Eventually I started talking to teenagers because one of my goals you know, one of my missions is to reduce unintended pregnancies and the spread of STDs. And what I was finding was, you know, when I was having conversations with women, you know, of course, they were having a lot of these experiences by the time they they got to me. And, you know, so I started talking to teenagers and the same thing, you know, I wasn't getting information to them soon enough. And so I started talking to moms about, um, you know, how to talk to your kids about sex and, you know, educating mom about, like, how her cycle works and how to, you know, use the information that her body sends to identify fertility so that she can teach her children. And so it's been, it's been really, um, I mean, I love doing it. It's been um, one of the most empowering things that I've ever done for myself is to, you know, teach my, you know, myself about these types of things. So it's been an exciting journey. So one thing I did notice, um, Robin, is that you said you didn't want to be on the pill. What made you change your mind about that? You know, just my whole lifestyle was moving to more holistic. I was getting into herbs and, you know, just kind of going down that path. Like I became a vegetarian. I didn't want to be putting artificial hormones in my body anymore. You know, I didn't want to be disconnected from my natural cycle because when you're on the pill you know it's like you don't cycle normally it's like you're it's a completely hormone dominated artificial hormone dominated cycle and when you bleed it's just withdrawal from the hormones it's not an actual period and so you know so I just didn't want to do that anymore and plus by that point I'd already been on you know the pill for almost five years um and you know they say it's not good to be on the pill for more than like five years at a time type thing so I was just really moving away from you know that whole artificial you know chemical type of lifestyle so you know what I can relate to that too I definitely understand yeah you know I just I just I just didn't want to do that anymore I mean it was it felt out of alignment with what I wanted for myself, you know, for my health, you know, it's like, how can you be healthy when you're putting these artificial hormones into your body and you're not even like cycling normally? And I know that, you know, for some women, 
you know, are you know, like birth control pills are a lifesaver. Like for women who have um, endometriosis, who have ovarian cysts, you know, that type of thing. That you know, the hormonal birth control can be life changing for them. And you know, so it's a great tool to have available, but. You know, for me personally, I just didn't want to do that anymore. And when I found, you know, this alternative way of doing things, I was just like, wow, you know, like what if every young woman grew up knowing this stuff about her body? I mean, it would be like life-changing, you know. It would like, it would shift our society, you know, kind of thing. I mean, it's just the, the implications are, you know, amazing. And women don't even know that this is an option. You know, this is one of the things that kind of bothers me the most is, um, you know, there's just a lot of ignorance around the female body in general. And, like, when we go to school, when we get biology class, when we get sex education, you know, this kind of thing, it's like, you know, we get introduced to the uterus, the ovaries, and this kind of thing. And it's like, you know, this structure that's kind of like floating out in space. And it's hard to even relate to, like, where is that in your body? I mean, you know it's down there somewhere. But how is it all connected? And how does it work, you know, and, and this kind of thing. And, and as, you, you know, as we get into, like, some, like, you know, I teach women about, like, their bodies and, you know, their anatomy and this kind of stuff. And as we get into it, it's like, I find that a lot of women just don't really have, like, all the pieces in place. And, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised because, like, our textbooks don't have all the information. Um, you know, like, for example, women have as much erectile tissue as men, but you'll never see that in your science textbook. You know, it's like... I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I mean. It's like, you're lucky if they label the clitoris, you know. It's like, and and it's like, we have so much more than that and it's like so women just in general are really like in the dark about our bodies and what our bodies are capable of and you know this kind of stuff and so what I what I like to do is I just like to empower women about their bodies you know it's like there's so much that we don't know (laughs) it's hard to know even where to start sometimes yeah going back to your situation where you said you didn't want to be on the pill anymore Mm -hmm. we have similar stories because when I was on birth control, I felt like a monster. I can't even lie. I was very hormonal. And I was on four different mm-hmm. ones over my time. I think I started on the pill, and I went to the patch. Then I went to um, the pill that you took um, for, I think, three months, and you didn't have a period. Right. And then I moved to the shot. And by the time I got to the shot, I was like, okay, something's not right here. Like, this, yeah. like everything doesn't, like, I feel like my body is not mine. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was being just governed by something completely you know, stronger than, than me. So I mean, yeah. I understand what you're saying too about people needing them to a degree, but I can definitely relate where it's just like, you know what, I'm tired of this. I can't do this anymore. I think I was on the shot for like seven years. No, not seven. Well, birth control. I mean, I'm sorry. I was on for, I think, seven, seven, three, no, six years, six years. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know what, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And, you know, when people get tired of condoms, you know, the barrier methods, you know, they all kind of suck. Can I say that? Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, so people get tired of them, and then you know, then what do you have? Like withdrawal, you know, this kind of stuff, or you know, keep your fingers crossed. You know, it's like, you know, period tracker apps. You know, and it's like, it's like, how much risk do you want to take? You know, I mean, if your goal is like to avoid getting pregnant, you know, it's like, how much risk are you willing to take? And so when I teach women about their cycles, about natural birth control, um. 
you know, one of the techniques is actually a collection of methods, and it's loosely called fertility awareness methods. And, you know, there's different signs and, you know, symptoms that your body sends over the course of a cycle that you can track. Like, for example, an easy one to track is your basal body temperature. So that's your resting body temperature. So, like, first thing in the morning when you wake up, you take your, your body temperature, like, before you move around, before you do anything that would, you know, change your body temperature type thing. So, and what you're doing is so you're recording your body's temperature at its resting state. And after you've ovulated, the progesterone in your body will raise that temperature a little bit. So if you're tracking your temperature over the course of a cycle, it's like you're going to see, like, in the beginning of the cycle before ovulation happens, your temperatures are going to be lower. And then after ovulation occurs and the progesterone starts circulating, your temperatures are going to be just a little bit higher. And we're talking, like, tenths of a degree. So you have to have, like, a sensitive thermometer that can measure tenths of a degree. You know, pretty much any digital thermometer will do this. And um, and you track that on a chart, and then once ovulation has happened, you're non-fertile for the rest of the cycle. So from that point until your period arrives, you can't get pregnant. And so, you know, that can be a very simple way of, you know, making sure that your, you know, that your bases are covered. You know, you just don't engage in unprotected sex until after you've confirmed that you're, um, you know, that your temperature has risen and then, um, you know, you're safe for the rest of the cycle, assuming that your goal is not to get pregnant. If you want to get pregnant, then by the time your temperature goes up, it's too late and you've already missed your opportunity. So um, so then there's other techniques like, um, you know, observing your cervical fluids, um, you know, basically, which is discharge that's coming from your cervix as your estrogen rises um, before ovulation and there's changes that your cervical fluids go through that you can monitor and, you know, as ovulation gets closer, you know, they become like more watery, stretchy, you know, um, this type of thing. And and so it's just, you know, the two of the methods together, you know, can help women, you know, determine when ovulation is approaching and confirm when it's done. And if you're, you know, somebody who wants to avoid being pregnant, that confirming that ovulation actually happened is super important, you know, if you're going to engage in unprotected sex. So kind of in a nutshell, there's more to it than that. But, you know, we do have limited time here. And I do teach um, these methods also. So if anybody's interested, I do have information about that too. Yeah, I think you're right. I think learning ourselves is, is actually going to be a, a lifelong journey, especially when we're mm-hmm. taught incorrectly or just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. half-ass mm-hmm. taught. So yeah, I, I or not even taught at all. It's like right. you learn from the Internet. You learn, you know, kids watch porn to learn how to have sex. It's like, you know, porn is not good sex. I'm sorry. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. There's some adults, Robin, that watch porn to learn how to have sex. Yeah. That's so not real. It's not realistic. Yeah, it doesn't feel good, you know? It's like, I mean, I suppose maybe parts of it can or whatever, but it's like if if you have, like, a teenage boy who's spoon-fed porn and then he goes into a relationship thinking that that's what a woman likes, it's like, and a girl who doesn't know any better, it's like, no wonder, you know, women get turned off from sex and, you know, like, we have, like, all these stories of women being frigid and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, well, it's probably because you suck in bed. Right. Yes, that is yeah. a word. Yes, because 
I actually remember someone, actually, I actually have a few men that I know, some of my friends, um, they started relatively early, um, between like 12, 13, 14 years old, being sexually active. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them said that they learned by watching pornography. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's like, sheesh. It's like, they, I mean, they're not going to learn anywhere else, which kind of, I mean, they're they're kids. I mean, they're children at the end of the day. But it's just like, wow, like that's what they start with from the very beginning. In age yeah. 30, 35, 40, you know, 20, 21, 22, they're all following that same example from way back. Right. Yeah, because there is no other example. It's like, you know, it's like nobody talks about sex. It's like nobody, like, you know, tells their son or daughter, it's like this is how you make love to a woman. This is how you make love to a man. You know, it's like when you come together, you know, there's magic that can happen. You know, it's like, well, they might hear some of that on TV, but they don't know how to create that, and certainly porn isn't going to help them create that. You know, it's like it takes until, like, we're in our 40s and 50s to, like, figure this stuff out to that level, you know. Some women never even do, you know. It's like that's if you, if you like, take an interest and, in, you know, start asking questions and exploring your body and, you know, this kind of stuff. So, yeah, some people never figure it out. And I think it's interesting you said that, you know, when parents talk to kids or children about sex, they don't. Um, talk to them and say, hey, this is what happens when a man and a woman come together. It's magic that can happen. I can see why, because some parents may think that it encourages their child to go, you know, experiment and see what this quote-unquote magic is, and they probably don't mm-hmm. want them to do that. So from your standpoint, because I know you, you do have children, correct? I actually don't. I don't what? have kids. So, yeah, children? no. I'm I'm like the cool aunt who comes in and helps mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so from a cool aunt perspective, where do you uh, feel parents might drop the ball or might kind of, you know, imply something different than what needs to be said? So what? So I'm saying basically, if a parent is not telling a child what sex can be in terms of, you know, it being a transformative experience, which I I think sex can be transformative and a positive oh, experience. Yeah. You both know what yeah. you're doing and your energies are right and you guys know what you're intending. But where, what do you think parents can tell their children about sex without actually encouraging them to have sex prematurely? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, I would love to see, like, sex be, like, an ongoing conversation. Like, it's never too early to start. And there's a lot of topics that will enter into the conversation about sex at a later age that you can introduce, you know, when they're children. For example, um, like the whole concept of boundaries or getting permission to touch or, you know, this kind of stuff. Like kids love to touch each other's hair, for example. You know, it's like, you know, while somebody might be fascinated with your hair, you might not want them touching it. And so it's like, you know, having these conversations, um, you know, as their kids, you know, type thing. And then as they get older, you get to layer in these other new topics like, oh, you know, oh, you're, you know, interested in this boy or this girl or whatever. And, you know, it's like, you know, how do you approach, you know, how do you get permission like to kiss or, you know, like each, you know, I mean, and especially these days, like getting the permission to go to the next base, you know, next step and that kind of thing is really becoming, you know, important conversation, especially like on the college campuses and in the high school today, you know, like getting the consent is, you know, becoming, there's more awareness around it, let's put it that way. And so um, I think by having, you know, these conversations 
early, I think, doesn't, you know, encourage kids to experiment, early, you know, with sex early. I think when the conversations are not had, like, for example, let's look at my life, okay? I was sexually abused by my grandfather. My parents did not discuss, you know, any anything about sex until the point where I was, I don't remember how old this conversation happened. It could have been somewhere between 12, 13. I don't remember exactly when my mom took me in the bedroom for the quote-unquote talk. You know, it's like I was never taught about, like, you know, people who want to take advantage of kids, you know, and so by them not having these conversations with me, my first introduction to sex and that kind of stuff was through my abuser. And so my abuser is telling me things like, this is our little secret, you know, don't tell, we'll get into, you know, you'll get into trouble, you know, this kind of stuff. And so I decided at 14 that I was going to, you know, give my virginity to a person of my choosing rather than someone who's trying to take it from me. And so it's like, well, that might not be the most, sound thought process, especially since I had no idea, like, when pregnancy could concern, you know, could happen, and I was, I was thinking, oh, well, I know dogs get pregnant when they're in heat, you know, so they're bleeding at that time, so as long as I'm not bleeding, I'll be okay, and it's like, talk about messed up, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I had everything wrong, you know, it's like, thank God I did get pregnant, because I didn't know about condoms, I didn't know about anything, you know, and it's like, So by parents having these conversations at a young age, it's like your messages are there first. If there's any kind of like abuse that like comes their way, it's like they, your children can know that one, you know, it's like you're there for them, that they can come to you with, you know, anything and it's going to be okay. It's like if somebody's touching you inappropriately, it's like, I want you to come tell me, you know, it's like, I never got that message, you know? And, and so I think by, you know, having these conversations and letting kids know that, you know, that sex is special. It can be really special, but it also can change your life in ways that you don't anticipate or, you know, that could be something that you really didn't have in mind. You know, like, for example, sexually transmitted diseases. You know, it's like when you get a virus, chances are you're going to keep that for life. You know, HPV, for example, is super common. It's like... About, I don't know, I read a study somewhere that said there's 14 million new cases of HPV every single year. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is women being diagnosed because there is no test for men. And the only time that women, um, you know, that are, like, given a diagnosis of HPV is when they have an abnormal pap smear. And so while the study didn't say that, even if it's only half that, you know, women being infected, it's like that's a lot of women. And, you know, HPV puts us at risk for cervical cancer, and it puts men at risk for oral and throat cancer. So it's, you know, I mean, it's something that isn't being talked about widely. You know, they talk about it because there's a vaccine now, but um, before that it really wasn't a conversation. And so... You know, all of these conversations are, you know, the the whole topic of sex is like such a rich, vast, wide, deep topic. You know, I mean, there's so many conversations that you can have, you know, with your kids on the topic of sex. I mean, it's hard to even think of them all, you know. But, um, and so that's what I do is I help moms, you know, like think about like what they want to say, the messages that they want to give, how to deliver that. 
um, you know, that type of thing. It can be, and then also to fill in the gaps of information because, you know, most of us didn't grow up, you know, learning about our body at this level, you know, learning about HPV, you know, other than just like, you know, wear condoms, don't have sex, you know, because you'll, you know, get a disease and die kind of thing, like the whole fear-mongering stuff that you get in school. So, so yeah, there's a lot of things we could talk about. I agree with sex being best, and I'm really glad you brought up the HPV piece because there was some talk about a celebrity, I don't want to say his name because he's still dealing with the press, um, the negative press, saying that, you know, he had herpes and that there were $20 million lawsuits about the celebrity infecting people unknowingly, well, not disclosing his status and infecting them with the herpes virus. And people were having a field day on social media, you know, on the Internet, making memes and making all this other stuff. And I'm thinking with HPV being so common, there's a lot of people that are making fun of this celebrity and laughing as if they may not be infected with a very, very common STI as well. So yeah, I just thought well, it was really interesting. True. And, you know, and herpes, a, a lot of people carry the virus and don't know it. They've never had a sore, but if you give them the test, like there's a blood test for herpes 1 and 2, they'll test positive for it, and they can spread it to somebody else. And they just don't know. They're a carrier. They're a silent carrier. So, you know, when going, you know, into a new relationship, it's really worth it, you know, to go with your potential partner to the doctor, to the clinic, and get tested, you know, do the blood test for the, you know, the herpes, the HIV, the hepatitis, you know, that type of stuff, Um, and then do, like, the swab and urine test for the other types of things like chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, like gonorrhea, for example, there's um, you know, antibiotic-resistant strains that are starting to become a problem, and syphilis is on the rise again, too, which are, you know, they we really haven't had to deal with these two in particular that much, and they're both rising, and, you know, the, the antibiotic-resistant one is, is definitely of concern. So it's really worth it to go and get checked, and also just be aware that, you know, if you go, like, through your doctor or your clinic, you know, the standard STD panels do not include HPV. And there is actually a test now um, that men and women can use. Um, it's a home test kit. The doctors, they could offer it, but they don't yet because, one, could be ignorance, two, could be because they don't have a quote-unquote cure um, and they just don't want to, like, worry people. Like, for example, if a man tested positive for HPV, they don't have anything that they can offer him. If they were to come to a holistic health practitioner like me, I have a lot of things that they I could offer, you know, somebody who's HPV positive. But because the medical establishment doesn't have anything to offer, their attitude is, you know, it's super common. We just deal with it if it causes a problem, which means for women, and then, um, you know, we'll deal with it then. The problem with that is is that the treatments for, you know, the problems that HPV causes, which is called cervical dysplasia or the more advanced, it becomes cervical cancer, um, are they're invasive treatments. They involve, you know, freezing, cutting, burning your cervix. They can put future fertility at risk. They can leave women with, like, lasting pain, you know, with sex, that kind of thing. It's not common, but it definitely does happen. And, you know, so, I don't know, I personally would like to try to avoid being infected. I actually have been infected with it twice, so I have personal experience with it. 
And both times, you know, I've addressed it naturally. So um, women don't know that that's even an option either. So if you get an abnormal pap smear, you know, it's like you're rushed off for biopsies and then for surgery, and then hopefully it doesn't come back. But the problem is, is the virus is still there, so it could come back. And some women do have recurring problems. Whereas if you address it naturally, like the way I did, you know, which involved like herbs and topical treatments in the vagina and, you know, things like that, I was able to clear the virus. My first um, interaction with it was back in 2000 in the late 90s, and in 2000 is when I dealt with it. And when I was finished, six months later, my pap smear was almost back to normal. It was like a little inflammation, some white blood cells that didn't belong there. And then after that, it was normal for 14 years until I started seeing this guy who had a vasectomy. He's like, oh, don't worry about it, and stupid me. I was like, ugh damn it, I got infected by HPV again. You know, it's like, I know better. It's like, damn, where, why didn't I make him wear a condom anyway? But anyway, and so, so I've had two experiences with it. And, um, you know, women just don't know that there is a natural way to address this. And so part of what I do, too, I started um, the HPV Education Project just to help women know that there are alternative treatments out there and to make the test available to people because um, it's not commonly available. And um, the lab that's doing it, they there's two different kinds of tests. Like HPV is a wart virus. And there are about somewhere between 100 and 200 different strains of the virus. You know, some of them cause warts on your hands. Some cause warts on your feet. Some cause warts in the genitals, and the ones that affect the genital tract that don't cause warts, so there's about 40 different strains that can affect the genitals. Some of them cause warts, some of them don't. There's about 14 which they consider high risk, meaning that they've been associated with cancer, HPV-related cancer, which could be cervical cancer, anal cancer, penile cancer, and oral and throat cancer. And so those 14 strains are generally what they tend to look for when a woman has an abnormal pap smear. Two strains, um, uh, 16 and 18, are associated with the majority of cervical cancers, about 70%. And so generally they'll look for those two, and then there's like a pool of 12 more that if you test positive for it, then, um, you know, your pap smear comes back as a high-risk, you know, flag, this high-risk type thing. But... um. So yeah, so HPV is kind of an interesting thing. And, you know, the vaccine doesn't give full protection and neither do condoms because it can be transmitted, you know, skin on skin type thing. And so I really feel like education is where it's at, you know, and using these different tests, um, you know, this laboratory, they have the high-risk test, which tests for those 14 high-risk strains. And then they have a separate test, which is a full DNA test, which will test for, you know, not only the high risk, but the low risk ones too, like the ones that either don't do anything or can cause uh, genital warts. And um, I had conversation with the person at the lab, and so I knew that they had the capacity to do the full DNA testing, but they weren't offering it to the public. 
And so I, I was like, well, why not? You know, I was like, well, what if my clients want that information? Could they get that test done? And so she's like, yeah, let me go check with the lab. And so she went and talked to the lab, and she came back. She said, yes, this is how much it'll cost. Would you like me to make an order form for you? And I said, why, yes, thank you very much. And so, so, <laughs> so I have on my website, too, so, um, you know, the home test kit with the ability to test, you know, the full HPV um, DNA test. So I thought that was really cool. And that's something that's not being offered by anybody else that I'm aware of. And so, you know, for women who, like myself, who want to address, you know, the problems that HPV causes naturally, having that information can be really useful. And if you're starting a new relationship with somebody, you know, if you want to know what you're being exposed to, um, then having that HPV test done, you know, the home test kit, can, you know, really just help give you peace of mind that, you know, you're not opening yourself up to, um, you know, HPV or if you are. And if somebody does test positive, I'm not saying, you know, like don't date them or sleep with them or that kind of thing because the immune system it plays a very important role in the body's ability to either suppress or clear the virus. And um, so... You know, even if they're testing positive right now, it doesn't mean that they always will. And so it's just, um, you know, an invitation to take better care of your health because um, HPV, like, I feel like when you've been exposed to HPV, your cervix becomes like the canary in the cold mine. And if you're, like, abusing yourself, if you're stressed out, if you're not getting enough rest, if your immune system is down, then it's more likely to cause problems for you. And if your immune system is up and healthy and, you know, you're doing good and this kind of thing, then chances are your body's going to either suppress the virus or it may clear it entirely, which... There's been differing opinions on, you know, whether or not the body can clear it. And back when I was first diagnosed, they said, no, once you have it, you have it for life. I personally feel like my body was able to clear the virus. Um, you know, during that 14-year period, I had HPV tests run in addition with my pap smear, and they would consistently come back negative. So can I prove that I cleared it? No. But I think I did. And... Um, you know, then I was re-exposed again. But the virus can also, like, hide in the tissues. You know how, like, um, chicken pox, you get it when you're a kid, and then, like, it doesn't bother you for the rest of your life. But then when you're older, sometimes you get shingles. Yep. I've heard of that. Most definitely. Same kind of thing. When your immune system goes down, it can pop back up. So how do you know who's cleared the virus and who hasn't? I don't really know because we haven't had good testing. So I'm hoping that this new HPV test, you know, and women and, you know, couples who are proactive about testing, you know, can maybe shed some light on, you know, some of these questions that we have about HPV. So One thing I took from this is that it seems like medicine or our Western medicine, the way we do things, it's, it, I don't know, for me it just confirms it's about treating symptoms and not roots. Yes, and absolutely. the conflicting information. If you go in above or you go um, a, a around or beat the system, quote unquote, mm -hmm. then it it calls your credibility into question. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, how'd you do that? That's not that's not possible. We mm -hmm. know this is not possible. Right. So it's just really interesting, you know, if somebody were to say, oh, well, prove it, prove that you cleared it. It's like, of course, it's how the system is set up. It's right. set up for it to be definitive and be so um, 
empirical with like the num you know the numeric data okay. of what type is of uh, disease are in your body based on the cell counts or whatever they're looking for. So they put people that are able to clear it in a position to have to defend what they're doing. I don't right. think that's fair either. Um, but I agree that all cures do come from the earth, and I do think that some of the things that are um, out are not just naturally occurring. I think some things are manufactured. I think certain things were. I mean, they're they're here to keep people addicted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Medically, I mean, so think yeah. about how much money they make. Um, okay, like let's just say, for example, that it is you know fourteen million women being diagnosed every year with HPV. Let's just say, for example, it was. Think about like how many follow-up appointments that is, how many colposcopies that is, how many biopsies are done, how many surgical procedures, you know, and then women follow up, you know, three to six months later with another pap smear and then again and, you know, this type of thing. And so it's like there's a lot of money being made there. And if you and if you're going to a holistic health practitioner who's telling you to clean up your diet, quit smoking, you know, take care, better care of your health, then here, take these herbs and stick these up your vagina. Um, where's the money for them and that? It's too easy. It's like whatever. It's not enough. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, that they're getting for these procedures that. You know, I mean, for women to address it naturally, I don't know, thousand bucks, give or take, maybe a little bit more, depending on you know what you decide to do with your supplements. And you know what? It's an investment in your health. You know, it's like I spent around a thousand dollars, you know, back in two thousand, and I had fourteen years of clean Pap smears. I wasn't worried about cervical cancer. I wasn't worried about HPV. I mean, sure, it's in the back of your mind, and you go and you get your Pap smear, and you keep your fingers crossed that it's normal. But you know, it's like after fourteen years, you don't really worry about it too much. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, you know, and so peace of mind for a thousand bucks. Yeah, no brainer keep my cervix intact yeah (laughs) that's like that's like yeah just like there's no question for me personally it's like that's important to me it's like I don't want them cutting up my cervix it's like I have a personal relationship with my cervix right I spent years like looking at my cervix learning about my fertility cycle and you know this kind of stuff it's like I had my own plastic speculum it's like I went up in there and I checked out my cervix on a regular basis and it's like I didn't want my cervix to be like chopped up you know like frozen they wanted to freeze mine was what they wanted to do I'm like yeah no I don't think so that doesn't sound like something I want to do thank you but run the other way it's like I went as far as getting the biopsies because you know it's like I wanted to document my process because I knew that I was going to treat it naturally and the scientists in me, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am I'm, tend to be, you know, logical and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so I wanted to document my process because if it worked, I was going to share that with everybody else who I was sharing the natural birth control stuff with. And guess what? It did work. And it worked really well. I was, like, super happy with the results. I was like, oh, thank God. This has been great. Like, thank you for sharing, like, your truth. I know there were some things that, you know, most people are not willing to share with the situation regarding your grandfather. And even with your um, your openness about your, you know, you being exposed to HPV, you actually having it twice. I don't know anybody that's willing to get on a platform and say, hey, this is what I've gone through. You know, that's those are some big things that you've shared. So I appreciate you for being so open about that. 
Yeah, well, and, you know, part of it is that we need to speak our truth as women. I mean, all of this stuff happens behind closed doors. The sexual abuse, you know, all the shame that goes along with that, the stigma, the shame and stigma that goes with having, you know, a sexually transmitted virus, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like HPV is really common. And I know for a lot of women the, the diagnosis is devastating. I mean, I was upset about it too. I was angry. I was upset. And then it, to top it off, it acted, my partner acted like it was no big deal. And, you know, and maybe he even knew he had it, which, he, you know, logically he probably couldn't have known unless he had had, you know, warts or something and it didn't tell me. But, you know, I was just angry, like all of these emotions, you know, and it's like the truth of the matter is HPV is so common it's like the flu. I mean, it's like that common, like everybody gets it, you know. It's like they say that, you know, 75%, you know, to 80% of the sexually active population is exposed to the virus at some point. And luckily, most of us are healthy and our immune system is able to fight it off, you know, that kind of thing. But there are some strains that are more aggressive. You know, sometimes we might be exposed when our immune system is down, and so these infections persist and cause problems. And, you know, it's like the only way to move through the shame is to, you know, is to talk about it. And really, I mean, it's like, and I'm not the only one. I mean, they say that one in four girls are sexually abused. And the number for boys is somewhere between one in five and one in 20. I mean, we don't really know how, how you know, widespread some of this stuff is because people don't talk about it, you know. And But it's definitely out there. It's still a problem. And even after all these years, I mean, I've been dealing, you know, talking about this stuff for 25 years, and stuff hasn't changed. Like, the statistics are still the same. It's like, you know... So that's why if no it's like I feel like I need to talk about these things. It's like I'm like the perfect example. Like I'm like a I'm like a page torn out of the book of statistics, you know, it's like sexually abused, unintended pregnancy, you know, sexually transmitted diseases, you know, all this stuff happening before the age of twenty four, which is like right what the um, you know, the statistics say it's like you're at greatest risk for all this stuff before, you know, you hit the age of twenty four. It's like so I get it. I've been there. It's like I know what it's like to not, you know, to grow up without having good information. And even, you know, as much as I educate myself now, it's like I still get pressured into having sex with, like, the guy without the vasectomy, you know. It's like that was kind of like a date rapey kind of situation. And it's like, God, you know, it's like I teach this stuff. You know, it's like I help parents help their daughters to avoid these situations. But here I am. I'm a 46-year-old woman who is still finding myself in these kinds of situations. And it's like, it's crazy. And it's like, you know, and it has to do with, again, it's like we got to bring it back down to, like, the moms teaching their girls and their boys, you know, raising empowered daughters, raising conscious sons, you know, like having those important conversations with, you know, their boys where, you know, like if a woman or a girl doesn't want to have sex, you know, it's like you, you, you back off. You don't keep kissing on her and pressuring her until she finally relents, you know. It's like, and then you give her HPV on top of it, you know. It's like, ugh. <laughs> anyway, no, I can understand. Yeah. I think also with society, we're so big on on uh, perfection. So I think that when people look at teachers, they expect them to be perfect mm-hmm. and that they're not supposed to make mistakes. And if they do, then they kind of put them through the ringer or try to yeah. judge. So I think that it's really about like 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 you said, being honest about 
what you got going on because we all are going through it trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to sex, you know, it's like you really don't want to do the trial and error thing if you can avoid it, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah. So the better education you can have, you know, and like if, I was thinking, like, if I, could, if I could have grown up knowing what I know now, it's like, well, I probably wouldn't be doing what I do now. You know, it's like it's my experiences have led me to where I am and talking about these things and wanting to raise awareness and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I'm glad all these experiences happen. I wouldn't invite them, you know, or wish them upon anybody. But since, you know, this was my lot in life, it's like I'm here to make the best of it. And if I can talk about my experiences to raise awareness, you know, for other women to help other moms talk to their kids about sex so that we can prevent, you know, some of the shit that I went through growing up, I think that's great because when, you know, like this whole sexuality piece, I mean, it's like at the core of who we are. And when, you know, it's like I tend to look at this as like holistic, like holistic sex education. Well, that was, I mean, you, you've given a lot of, um, a lot of knowledge in this, in this interview. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't mind, I have a few listener questions. Um, a few reached out to me and said they wanted to ask a couple of questions. Sure. Um, I think seeing, <laughs> given everything we discussed, I think these questions are perfect. Um, the first one says, what is female ejaculate? Is it urine and where does it come from? Okay. So female ejaculate is not urine and it comes from stroking the G-spot. And so, um, as the fluid builds up in the in the in like the the tissues around the G spot, see, and here we're getting into the anatomy where you know this is the pieces that are missing from our textbook, and um, so this might be hard to visualize, but in the vagina, like on the front of the vagina, so like if you're like it's like let's say for example you had a finger in the vagina, let's you know, pushing towards, like, your belly button or your bladder, so, like, the front of your body. It's like, if you're in about two knuckles, you might feel, like, an area that feels different from the rest of the vagina. That's your G-spot. And if you stroke that area, like, with kind of a, a come-here motion, it can start to get kind of poofy, like, as it starts to to swell. Like, our erectile tissue doesn't get, like, rock-hard like a penis does. Our erectile tissue gets swollen and that kind of thing, but it doesn't get, like, um, erect like a penis. Well, I mean, there is erection that happens, but not the same degree as, like, a penis kind of thing. So the G-spot will get kind of, like, poofy and it will fill with fluid and that kind of thing. And some women are able to ejaculate that. And um, I think, not positive, don't quote me on this, I think it comes out the urethra, which is where the pee comes out, but not positive on that. Um, there are also like little openings and glands that are in that area too, which the fluid may come out of there too. Um, not 100% sure. You know, like we obviously need to spend some time studying female ejaculation, but I'm not sure that the government grants will come through on that, especially with this administration. But um, yeah, so we do, do definitely still have a lot of questions about the female body, but you know, female ejaculation is possible. Not all women are able to do it, although we certainly all are capable, but a lot of us have not had the opportunity. Um, and, you know, it 
takes practice. It takes, you know, stimulation. Um, if you start with stimulating the G-spot, it may not feel good. You may want to start, like, with a clitoris or, you know, other areas first to kind of wake things up down there and then move towards the G-spot kind of thing. You know what? I thought, if I remember correctly, I thought it came from urethra, too. Yeah. But uh, I do know, like, with the with the um, the G spot, I know some people. Well, I can also say this too. It feels like a rougher spot of the vagina. Like it's like a rough. It's hard to explain. Like it's like a rougher patch. Yeah, it's different. From it what, feels different. What, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just like it's. I'm just. I'm saying this for clarity for the listeners. So if you go in, it, it's a particular texture, but once you hit it, you'll know. Mm -hmm. It's just. It's different. Mm -hmm. That was a good. That was a good answer. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty sure some listeners probably were like, "I was not expecting this," but yeah, I mean, uh -huh. that's what about. Hey, about all perspectives. Yeah, let's talk about the female body. Let's talk about sex. Talking about sex is fun. So another question I have that's listeners submitted, or what are your thoughts of having sex during your cycle, like during menstruation? Mm hmm Yeah. Um, I don't see any problem with that. Um, you know, extra lubrication is always great. So, um, yeah, I don't see any problem with that at all. And if you're, you know, um, to get into like the natural birth control conversation and that type of thing, depending on the length of your cycle and, you know, don't like take any of this information and try to apply it because there's, you know, we don't have time to go into the real education, but, you know, just in general, depending on the length of your cycle, um, and when I say cycle, I mean like from first day of period to all the way to the next day or, or the first day of your next period. And then, so to me, that's what I, when I say cycle, that's what I mean. It's like more like the 28-day, give or take, you know, span versus like cycle as like is in your period kind of thing. So yeah. in general, um, you know, having sex during your period is for most people a non-fertile time, but that will depend on the length of your cycle because ovulation is not set in stone, and so um, it can, you know, it can be affected by travel, sickness, stress, you know, things like that. Um, and so if you happen to be somebody who ovulates on the more early side, you know, menstruation could potentially be a fertile time. And also menstruation does allow, if you're not using condoms, for example, sperm to get inside the cervix where if ovulation, you know, happens, like if it's a shorter cycle, like for example, sperm can live between five and seven days um, if the conditions are right in the body. So if the sperm get into the cervix and can hang out and wait for ovulation to happen, then you could get pregnant, you know, from having sex during your, your period kind of thing. So, but as far as it's like having sex during your period, I don't see any problem with that. Go for it. Have fun. Maybe get some red towels to protect your sheets. Uh, <laughs> I remember hearing some weird stuff when I was growing up. I remember hearing, um, you know, you can hemorrhage, um, it's messy. Like, I've heard a lot of weird... Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a little bit messy because you're bleeding. So, I mean, it's like that kind of thing. So, if you have, like, a bloody hand, you could leave a handprint on the wall or something or on your sheets or whatever, but... You know, you're not going to hemorrhage. Um, you, you know, there's no, like, 
physical or medical reason not to have sex during your period. With the topic of the diagnosis and in the HPV conversation, mm-hmm. what are some ways to have an honest conversation with your partner um, about having a STI? Yeah, um, great question. And I know that a lot of women who are affected by, you know, HPV or herpes or, you know, some of these persistent infections, um, you know, this is definitely a valid concern for them. And, you know, we all have histories. We've all been around the block. You know, it's like sometimes things happen. You know, it's like people can expose us to things that they didn't know that they have. And, you know, it's not your fault. It doesn't mean that, you know, that you've been sleeping around or that kind of thing. I mean, with HPV, for example, if you have sex with a new person, you've got a 50-50 chance of getting the virus. So it's like even if you have sex with one person, it's like you could still get HPV. And, so you know, so it's not a reflection of, like, who you are as a person or anything like that. You know, it's just like shit happens. And, you know, sometimes... We get unlucky and we sleep with somebody who happens to have, a, you know, a virus. And like I said, most of it is, you know, has to do with the immune system. You know, it's like herpes comes out when your immune system is down. HPV tends to flare up when your immune system is down and that type of thing. So if you, you know, if you're taking care of your health, that's like the most important thing. And when you have a conversation with somebody new, it's like you don't have to tell them on the first date necessarily, but if it seems like it's going to eventually lead to sex, if it is something that you're interested in, you know, somebody that you're interested in, you know, it is important to have these conversations and disclose. And, you know, they may have a virus that they're not telling you about too. You know, it's like the last two partners that I've been with, you know, they've been positive. The first one was positive for herpes 1. The second one was positive for herpes 2. And, you know, I did not have sex with them because they were positive, but we used condoms. And, you know, if they had, you know, an open sore or something like that, then, you know, we took that into consideration, you know, and that type of thing. And so, you know, you just, you make adjustments, you know. I mean, if the person is worth it, then, you know, you shouldn't let a sexually transmitted infection stop you. And, you know, for me... You know, I'm still dating, you know, like I actually I told my partner that I was with recently to move out. And so I'm dating again. So it's like, so I'm going to be dealing with this too. And, you know, it's like I was talking to him and I was like telling about the podcast interviews that I'm doing lately and he was interested. And so I sent him the link to my podcast interviews. And then I was like, wait a minute, what have I just done? It's like he's going to hear me talking about HPV and my exposures. And it's like, I haven't even got to meet him yet. It's like, I'm like, uh, actually, I just sent you a lot of personal information that I'd rather tell you myself first. So he's like, okay, don't worry. Your secret's safe with me. He's like, I'll wait until you give me the okay. And I'm like, okay, phew. So, but, you know, and then, you know, the topic of HPV came up because, you know, as somebody who's doing a lot of podcast interviews and who talks about women's health a lot, you know, I've mentioned that, you know, that was one of the conversations that I've been having a lot lately. And so he came back with, you know, we're just texting back and forth that, you know, he actually wanted to get the vaccine and his doctor told him no. And he said, you know, you probably already have it anyway. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. This kind of thing. So he came back with that response. And I was like, okay, so this won't be so scary when it comes time for me to say, well, actually, I've been exposed to this, you know, 
twice, and you know, one of it was more recently, and I haven't had my follow-up pap to see if I'm HPV negative yet, but you know, that'll be what I do in March. So we'll see. And, you know, so it's like that kind of helped me feel better about, you know, the disclosure that I'm going to have to make. But, you know, I mean, yeah, it's uncomfortable. But, you know, they may have a virus that they need to tell you or they may already have heard about HPV and their doctor may have told them it's no big deal and that kind of stuff. And a lot of the doctors, you know, treat it that way. Of course, you know, ask a woman who has an abnormal pap smear who's having to go get biopsies and leap and, you know, these different surgical procedures. Ask her if it's a big deal. Totally different response. Yeah. So, so anyway, so the doctors may be helping us, you know, prepare our men for our disclosures by telling them it's not that big of a deal and not to worry about it, you know, type thing. But, yeah, so all important conversations to have because, you know, I actually believe that we should disclose. I don't think that it's fair to somebody else, you know, to, you know, potentially be carrying a virus. And that's why I encourage new couples to go get tested. It's like, you know, you may not know what you have because a lot of these things don't have any symptoms. Right. Yep. Like even with HSV 1 and 2, like people – the thing that kind of bothers me about that is with HSV 1, how people – think that one's better than the other. Right. And mm-hmm. they try to say, oh, well, the one on the lip or the cold sore one isn't as bad as the one on the genitals, but they forget that all a person has to do is have a cold sore, go down on somebody that may have just waxed or may have an open something somehow down there from shaving or whatever, and then they could easily transmit that virus to that area. So it's just really interesting how, like, even, like, the social stigma of, of how this all works is, is kind of jacked up. I feel like an STI is an STI is an STI, whether it's curable, whether it's uncurable, quote unquote uncurable, because you know how that goes. But yeah, right. Really well, here's the thing too with herpes is you know the virus can actually be shed without any source present, and it, like you were saying, you know most people don't realize that you know if somebody you know has herpes one and they go down for oral sex that they can spread it to the genitals. And while herpes 1 isn't as nasty necessarily when it becomes like a genital infection, like the herpes 2 is is more aggressive, it tends to pop up more often, you know, this type of thing cause more problems than the herpes 1 if that's genital, but they both can cause sores. They can both pop up in times of stress and this kind of thing. And so, so yeah, I totally agree with you. It's like there isn't necessarily one that's better than the other one. You know, herpes one may cause fewer problems, but neither are are pleasant. And, you know, if you're going to have children, you know, herpes, an active herpes infection can, um, you know, cause problems during a vaginal birth too. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's good to know what people have. And then, you know, just because they have an infection doesn't mean that you, you know, throw them back necessarily into the sea, but it does mean that you that you're, you know, conscious and aware and, you know, you take steps to protect yourself and that kind of thing and and that type. So, yeah, I think think that STD conversation is an important one for new couples to have. Absolutely. And what is the last question I have that's listeners submitted? Ah, here we go. What are some, well, you listed one about getting tested together, but what are some holistic best practices 
that singles and couples could adopt for better sexual health? Are there foods that they can eat? Are there are there other things like meditating together, tantric sex? Yeah, all of that. <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, all of that, you know, like mental health, spiritual health, physical health, um, you know, the more that you do with your partner, you know, share those intimate intimate moments, you know, that type of thing is all going to bring you closer. I think, you know, the, the Tantra sex is a great thing um, to explore. You know, it's definitely a lot of different concepts, you know, not a conversation for for us here today. And I'm not an expert in that, but I do know a lot of people who are. And, um, yeah, I would love to find a partner who wants to go there with me. And so that's what I'm holding out for this time. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I trust yeah, you. yeah, you know, and and I don't know if you're familiar with like Alison Armstrong. She's uh, understanding men is her thing, and yeah, just some amazing insights into like dynamics of couples and how you can bring you know the couple, you know, the unit closer, like more intimacy within your your couple unit, you know. Um, but as far as like foods and that kind of thing, um, yeah, you know, cut down on the sugar, um, vegetables, protein, um, you know, eat clean, that type of stuff. Um, you know, alcohol, I know a lot of people indulge, but, you know, it's not really a healthy choice. Um, you know, it converts right to sugar if women have problems with, you know, yeast infections and that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that you'll want to cut out. Um you know, sugar also depresses your immune system. So if you've had problems with HPV, you know, that type of stuff, you know, anything that you can avoid, you know, that depresses your immune system is a good thing. If you smoke cigarettes, that's something else to get rid of, especially if you've been exposed to HPV. And um, something that women don't realize either, if your partner smokes and you're not using a condom, there's like nicotine, uh, tobacco chemicals in his semen, and every time he's ejaculating inside you, he's like bathing your vagina in all those chemicals too. So, again, if you've been exposed to HPV, that might be you know something you don't want because uh, smoking does increase the problem, you know, chances of having problems with your cervix. So. That makes complete sense. It's like it's transmitting fluids, whatever. Mm -hmm he or she has, it's it's on you or it's in mm -hmm. you. So that makes sense to mm -hmm. me. I hope a lot of people have that make sense for them as well. Yeah. So even if you're not, you're doing well, but your partner isn't, you're still going to get that crap in you regardless. Yeah, well, so. and here's something else too. Like, for example, oral health. Like, if your partner has poor oral hygiene, it's like when you're kissing him, you're getting that nasty bacteria in your mouth too. And while your health might be good, you're still picking up, like, that bacteria. So, like, you know, when you come together with somebody, you know, not only do you come together, but you adopt, like, mannerisms. You pick up, you know, share you share each other's flora, so the bacteria that you're on your bodies and in your mouths and, you know, this kind of stuff. And so, like, when you invite somebody into that, into relationship with you, it's like you're, you know, you're inviting these other things, too. And it's like, do you want, when, you, when you're choosing to be intimate with somebody, it's like, do you want, like, their... You know, do you want their bacteria and their yeast and their viruses and that kind of stuff too? Because you're going to get some of it by osmosis for sure. Absolutely. Right. Now, how can people get in touch with you? 
Oh, great question. Um, I have several websites that um, you know you can go to for information. The HPV Education Project. Um, that one is hpvedu.com, and there I have um, uh, a handout that you can download that has three um, strategies to protect yourself from HPV. So that can be really useful for people who are dating or um, who've had problems with it. Also on that website, if you've had problems with HPV, there is a, a webinar that you can watch there that is specifically for women who have had an abnormal pap smear. So it goes through like, you know, this is all, this is what happened, this is how you got it, this is what your doctor's talking about, these are the procedures that we're that he's discussing, um, you know. This is what it all looks like. Um, you know, these are the things that you can do to be proactive about your health. And then, you know, some of the, the natural um, treatments that are employed, like the different nutrients that are used for cervical health and that kind of stuff. So if somebody's had an abnormal pap smear, you know, like the purpose of that webinar is like to kind of crash course, educate you, calm you down, give you a plan of what you, you know, can do. These are your options, that kind of thing. And so... Um, that's a really great resource for women, too. I have um, another website that's all about, like, the natural birth control kind of stuff and um, the fertility awareness. That website is Fertility Diva, and Diva is spelled D as in Donna, E as in Emily, uh, V as in Victoria, A as in Amber. <laughs> um, I love how you mentioned all women. Yeah, I was thinking that. about that the other day. I was like, hmm, instead of, like, you know... D for David, Echo. It's like, how can I make this like more feminine? I was like, I'm going to use women's names. So yeah, so I am. So yeah, so Diva is spelled with an E, not an I. And um, and there I have a, a free webinar actually that's up right now that you can watch, which is called Mastering Your Cycle, which is like everything about your cycle, like all the stuff you didn't learn in school, I highly recommend, you know, all of your listeners go there and, you know, just learn, like, all the stuff about your cycle, all the things that you missed in school, you know, this type of thing. Um, there's great diagrams there about the body. Um, I think I included the reptile tissue in that, so if you're curious to see, like, how your reptile is mapped out, um, where it's located so that you can play and wake those tissues up, um, you can check out that webinar because uh, that's I'm pretty sure I concluded that in there too as part of the uh, the anatomy education. Um, and then mm -hmm. finally, as if that wasn't enough, <laughs> I have my Raising Empowered Daughters website, which is specifically for moms. Um, and I have there uh, a cheat sheet that you can download that gives you like a list of all the different conversations that you might want to, you know, cover or at least be thinking about, um, you know, to talk to your kids about and the different ages um, to have those various conversations or when to add in a new layer to that conversation. So that can be really helpful for moms too. And that's RaisingEmpoweredDaughters.com. Well, you have a lot to keep you busy, Robin. I will say that, all of this education. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's all connected. I mean, it's just, you know, different different ways of talking about it. But, yeah, it's all connected. Really, it's all about empowering women about their health, their reproductive health. I think if anything was needed, 
at any time. Like the time for this kind of awareness is now. Absolutely, sure. absolutely. You know, it's like our reproductive rights are under attack. You know, it's like they talk about taking away birth control. They talk about you know taking away rights to choose. You know, type thing. So it's really important for women to be able to rely on themselves to avoid getting pregnant and you know have that kind of deep knowledge about their body. And I think it's it's this is really a perfect time. Now, is there anything else that you want people to know about you? Um, yeah, I am here for you. If I can be of support for you, um, you know, please feel free to look me up. I generally try to keep a couple of appointments open on my schedule each week just for, you know, people like you coming in who have questions, um, who want to know more about these different topics, and you can access those um my calendar through any of the websites um in particular the fertility diva and the raising empowered daughters are probably easiest to uh, to get to that information but but yeah um if i can help anybody if you need more information if you you know have a group of people you want me to come and talk to i'm i'm happy to you know share this information that's really what it's all about is you know giving women the tools that they need to make their life happen the way they want to. And the reproductive piece is a big part of that. Totally agree. Well, thank you for sharing, Robin. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, my pleasure. And that was my interview with Robin LaCrosse. If you want to find her, just skip back a few seconds to get all of her websites or check the show notes for more information. If you want to find me, you can find me at spiritualhomegirl.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, well, no, Facebook, Instagram, Spiritual Homegirl, Twitter, Pinterest, Spirit Homegirl, YouTube, Spiritual Homegirl. Yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot of websites. Even I forget. I'm like, oh, I'm on, oh, I'm on Pinterest. You're right. Oh, I'm on Tumblr. You're right. But I'm working on my YouTube. I'm really excited to upload my interviews. Um, they're really short five-minute mini interviews from the Veggie Connection. Um, there was an event, a plant-based event I covered a few weeks ago before I went to California. And I have a lot of great interviews, very short um, and to-the-point interviews about some of the vendors that were there. Uh, Dr. Joe Esposito, he has the number one, um, I think it's the number one health talk show out right now in the world at least at the day of the interview was number one um also we talk about um there's some holistic practitioners i have a quick interview with that have centers out here in atlanta um there's one based in california um a lot of them do do work at a distance i talk with the rapper gray and his beautiful queen chef nikki um they're a plant-based activist couple i love them they're so great they also talk about um their mission and how they're going to better change the world through their union as as a plant-based couple um, through music as well as through activism. Um, so I'm really excited um, to go ahead and update everything for you guys. And um, I've been going through some changes as well. I went to California, as a lot of you may know, and that trip changed my life. I learned a lot of lessons. I think I learned like a year's worth of lessons in eight days. It was definitely a game changer. I definitely had some moments where I had to really stop and um, get my shit together, to be honest. And I'm really excited for what is to come. I've never been more excited coming back from a trip from LA in my life. It's definitely, it definitely re-energized me and recharged me and transformed me in a way that, um, that I'm so grateful for. So grateful for. Also with those, um, with families that have been affected by the situations in Mexico, the earthquakes, um, the hurricanes with Irma, with Maria, please, um, send some energy for your loved ones. And just for the world in general, it's a lot going on. And I know it can be heavy. And I know the seeing human suffering, it sucks. It does. But just make sure that we keep our vibrations high. And just make sure that we continue to send love and positive energy no matter what. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to keep it short. Uh, my name is Maria. This has been another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl. And remember, trust the journey and trust yourself. Peace. Better stay clear. Better stay clear.
out my way Keep them problems in the past we had in yesterday God bless you And your loved ones Be thankful where you at Don't forget where you come from I'm talking no regrets See the past and past us by And the future's on the horizon But right now is where we live life Ain't no rejects All you have to do is believe Just ask and you'll receive Everything that's meant to be